let God transform your life as you listen to this inspiring sermon by Rev. Richard C. Whitcomb. Pastor Ron Carpenter was fed up. For 10 years, his marriage had been deteriorating. His wife, Hope, was acting strangely and had begun to withdraw from him. And then she stopped coming to church. He was the pastor and she refused to come to his church. He was tired of making excuses and explaining her behavior. He was tired of keeping up appearances when the marriage was going to pot. It was a far cry from the marriage that had started in 1991. They married when they were both just out of university. Pastor Ron was entering into the ministry and they had their whole life ahead of them. They began building a family. They started a church called Redemption World Outreach from scratch. And God blessed their family and ministry. The church grew to become a mega church with more than 20,000 people coming. Everything seemed perfect. The family, the marriage, the ministry. But one day Pastor Ron came home and noticed that something was wrong with his wife. She was normally vibrant and friendly, but she became withdrawn and distant and silent. Uh, No matter what he did, nothing changed. But the fact was Hope Carpenter was suffering from mental illness. And now the horrible truth had come out. Hope Carpenter, the pastor's wife, had committed adultery. Not once, not twice, but over and over again. Pastor Ron had had enough. He stood up in the pulpit on Sunday morning and said, I'm getting a divorce and there is no way back. But privately, God began to speak to him. God said, I'm not done with you being one. God began to soften his heart and work behind the scenes. And in spite of all the hope and betrayal, God began to work reconciliation. Pastor Ron prayed for God's help. Bishop T.D. Jakes got involved and counseled the couple. And God came down and did what was humanly impossible. God restored the carpenter's marriage and got them back on track. Today, Pastor Ron and Hope Carpenter continue their ministry together. They continue to build their family together. God is blessing their marriage, their family, and their ministry. And in their powerful testimony, there is hope for every one of us today, for everyone who needs a relationship rescue. No matter how deep the hurt, God can heal the brokenhearted. No matter how wide the rift between you, God can reconcile and get you back on track. That's the message in our sermon this morning. We're going to discover three steps Jesus gives us to get any relationship back on track. But before we find out more, let's bow our heads and pray. Almighty and everlasting Father, we thank you that you are the God of reconciliation. You paid the greatest price possible to reconcile us and get us back to you. So teach us today how to Get those principles into our lives so that we can restore broken relationships and get back to living at peace. We submit to you now. We bind every voice of the devil that would come to deceive or disturb or distract us. And in the name of the Lord Jesus, I loose the power of the Holy Spirit, the power to bring light and life and love to our hearts and to every relationship we have. 
We thank you by faith in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. I want to invite you to take a moment. Join your faith with mine right now. Pray it like you mean it. Say after me, Lord Jesus, speak to my heart. Change my life. Manifest your glory in me. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Well, good morning once again. Welcome to Agape House. It's great to have you here today as we come to the conclusion of our sermon series, Relationship Rescue. Everybody say, Relationship Rescue. God has been doing so much in our lives as we've learned his truth on how to bring hope and happiness and healing to every relationship in every life. And I pray that the Lord has rescued some of your relationships, and I want to encourage you to continue to take this truth and carry it through the rest of your life. You can do that in one way by going to the resource center after service today, get the CD, get a pen drive, and listen to the message over and over again. I know it will bless you. And because because this is a series on relationship, be sure you buy some CDs and pen drives for a friend as well. Well, today we're going to learn what we need to do to restore broken relationship. And to help us learn the truth for today, we've printed sermon notes. They look like this. They're inside your bulletin. You can download them online for free. Go ahead and take out your notes and follow along as we discover three steps to get a relationship back on track. Everybody say back on track. There at the top of your notes and on the screen ahead of you is our scripture text today. The words of our Lord Jesus found in Matthew 5, 23 to 25. Now receive the word of the Lord. So, if you are presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, leave your sacrifice there at the altar. Go. Everybody say go. Go and be reconciled to that person. Then come and offer your sacrifice to God. When you're on your way to court with your adversary, settle your differences quickly. May the Lord bless the reading of his word to your heart today in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Have you ever had this happen to you? You're just going about your daily routine. Everything is normal. It's a nice day. And all of a sudden, something happens to trigger a memory of a pain or a broken relationship. Maybe you're at work and suddenly you see someone and that was the person who blocked you from getting a promotion. Or maybe you're in town. Maybe you went to a restaurant to eat dinner and all of a sudden something happens and you see something that reminds you of a painful, broken relationship, a broken heart. And God, by his power, is warning us today that when the bitterness begins to burn and the anger arises again, we need to do something about it. That's what happens in this story in Matthew chapter 5. Jesus tells us about a situation where a past hurt or a broken relationship suddenly comes into focus. It may have been years ago or it may have been yesterday, but Jesus knows that when we don't solve those broken relationships, they will come back to haunt us and torment us. So in his grace, he gives us three steps we can all take to reconcile any relationship. And in this passage, Jesus is speaking to every single one of us because no matter who you are, every one of us has had relationships that needed to be mended. You may be a very nice person. You may be very friendly, but every one of us has relationships with complicated people and we need to learn how to reconcile. For the truth is relationships are complicated because people are complicated. Does anyone in the house today know some complicated people? Raise your right hand if the person you're sitting next to right now is complicated. 
Come on, tell the truth. I see that hand. God bless you, sister. Amen. The fact is people are complicated. The world is full of complicated people. And everyone faces challenge because complicated people create complicated relationships. And sometimes that causes a rift that needs to be reconciled. It may be someone at your workplace or in your family, in your compound, or in your extended network of friends. The person may be handsome, talented, educated, even successful. But in terms of relationship and friendship, that person is difficult because it's not just outward appearance that matters. It's what you are in the heart. Jeremiah 17.9, the Lord tells us the human heart is the most deceitful of all things hey, and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? So things may look good outwardly, but relationships get complicated because people are complicated because our hearts are complicated. And over the last few weeks, we've seen some of the causes of those complications. In week one, we discovered the initial problems in human relationship that came from fear and doubt and comparison. In week two, we looked at the internal emotions that we all have that need to be controlled in order to connect with people. And last week, we talked about different communication styles and how that can complicate relationships because relationships are complicated because people are complicated. In fact, you would have to leave this world in order to get away from difficult people and difficult relationships. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 5.10, you would have to leave this world to get away from all the people who sin sexually or who are greedy or cheat each other or who worship idols. So what do we do? We can't escape the people around us. We need to get along with people. Jesus gives us three steps, and here's your first step today. Stop. Everybody say stop. See, the first thing Jesus tells us to do when you have a broken relationship is to stop whatever else you're doing and prioritize the relationship. No matter how busy you are, no matter how important the task, stop and work at healing your relationship. For in verse 24, he says, leave your sacrifice there at the altar. In other words, even if you're doing something important, even if you've come to worship, even if you're praying or singing or serving, stop whatever you're doing and and give priority to reconciling with others. Now, if you were a Jew living in Israel in Jesus' day, this statement from Jesus Christ is shocking. Everybody say, what a shock. Because you see, in those days, coming to bring your sacrifice was a huge, big deal. It was something that most people only did once a year. It was like watch night. You had to be there once a year at least, bring your sacrifice to Jerusalem. And Jesus is saying, no matter what you've done, no matter how much planning or effort you've made, no matter how long it's taken you to get there, leave your sacrifice. Because there was only one place you could go in the whole world to bring your sacrifice and that was the temple in Jerusalem. So if you lived in the mountains or you lived in northern Israel, this was a big deal. No bismaltino. To get ready, you would spend months preparing. The journey was a long one. And if you were bringing a big sacrifice like a cow or a goat or a lot of wheat or flour, it would be a big feat to get to Jerusalem. Remember, there were no trucks, no trotros, no STC buses to bring you down. You had to use leggedy bands. Or if you were rich, you could come on a donkey or a horse. And the effort involved a lot of time and planning and preparation. It could take you all year to get ready for your one and 
annual trip to the temple to bring your sacrifice. You didn't do it every week. You didn't do it every month. It took a lot of effort. And imagine making all that effort. Imagine if you lived in Paga border and you had to come down to Accra. Imagine what that would take you carrying something big without a car or a bus or an airplane. You make all the effort. You lug your cow or your goat or your wheat all the way to Jerusalem from a far distance. And it takes you a week to get there. When you get to the temple, there's a long queue to get in. And you wait and wait. And inch by inch, you carry your sacrifice bit by bit. And suddenly your name is called. Oh yeah, Amma, come. And you bring your goat and you get to the altar. You're about to make your sacrifice and you remember. Hey! The argument you had, the quarrel you had, the bitterness in your heart. Jesus said, leave your sacrifice. Go and reconcile and come back. Cobra. No bismantino. Jesus says in that moment, stop. Leave your sacrifice. No matter how far you've come, no matter how much time you've spent, no matter how difficult. And here's what that means. There is no substitute for relationship. No religious act can take the place of right relationships. Your relationship with God cannot go forward when you've got a broken relationship with someone else. You can't love God and serve God when you don't love other people. All your religious service, all your acts of devotion, all your prayers and giving don't please God when you're not loving other people. For the Bible tells us in 1 John 4, Dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God, but anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. So the evidence of your relationship with God is not your worship and your prayer, but your love for others. Relationship trumps religion. Once many years ago, there was a young man in a crowd named Robert. Robert met a young lady named Abigail, and they got to know each other. They fell in love, and Robert proposed. Abigail said yes, but there was only one slight delay. Robert wanted to go abroad and finish his degree before he got married. Abigail didn't want him to go, but Robert said, don't worry. We will be communicating all the time. Now, in those days, it was before the Internet, and there were no mobile phones, and even the landline phone call was very dear between here and abroad. And so Robert said, I'm going to write you a letter every single day. I'll take it to the post every single day. I'll mail you a letter and every day you can go to the post and collect the letter. So Abigail agreed and Robert left. And sure enough, every single day, Robert wrote Abigail a letter. And every day, Abigail went to the post office and collected the letter. But then gradually, as time went by, Abigail's letters in return became less and less frequent until finally they stopped altogether. Then one day, Robert got a letter that gave him the shock of his life. Abigail wrote and said she wanted to break up with him. She had met another man named Stephen, and she wanted to marry him. Robert couldn't understand what had gone wrong. He was shocked. He was heartbroken. He didn't know what to do. So he asked his family and friends, go and investigate. Find out what is happening. And when they did, they discovered that sure enough, Abigail had met another man named Stephen and they wanted to marry. But how did this happen, Robert asked. I wrote her a letter every day. Well, the truth was, every day Abigail went to the post office to collect Robert's letter. And it was at the post office she met the man behind the counter. (laughs) 
His name was Stephen. And every day Stephen would smile at Abigail and chat with her before he handed her Robert's letter. And as time went by, forget the letter, here's a flesh and blood man in front of me, she went for Stephen. Robert gave her lip service, but Stephen gave her his presence. Tell your neighbor there's no substitute for relationship. See, that's why 1 John 4 continues. If someone says, I love God, but hates a fellow believer, that person is a liar. Tell your neighbor, no, don't do that, okay. For if we don't love people we can see, how can we love God whom we cannot see? And he has given us this command. Those who love God must also love their fellow believers. Above all else, love. And love requires relationship. There is no substitute for relationship. It's no wonder that some marriages today are struggling. You live completely different lives. You work in different cities. You travel at different times. You have a marriage license, but no true relationship. You're sharing space, but you're not sharing life. And even when you're home, you spend more time on your phone than you do talking to your spouse. I'm talking to somebody today. Amen. It's no wonder some children are growing up unruly, undisciplined, and rebellious. The dad is in Dubai, the mom is in Mumbai, and we are raising a generation of virtual orphans. Sending money from abroad does not replace your presence in home. Sending gifts from abroad does not replace conversation. Get off your phone and talk to your family. Do you know why your son is acting up and misbehaving? He's acting up and misbehaving because he's desperate for your attention. When he's quiet and calm and well-behaved, you ignore him. But he knows that if he starts to shout and scream and hit his sister, you will give him your attention. He would rather you yell at him than you ignore him. And here's what Jesus is teaching us. Relationship trumps religion. If you want to please God, love other people, focus on relationship. You see, God is more concerned with our relationships than he is with our religious acts. But in Ghana today, we're more concerned with our religious acts and less concerned with our relationships. And Jesus speaks to us today from Matthew 15. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship is a farce. For they teach man-made ideas as commands from God. And we need to stop giving God what he doesn't want and start giving God what he does want. He does not want the tithe from your cocaine money. He does not want your prayer for your enemy to die. He does not want your prophecy condemning your competitors. He wants us to love one another. To every so-called prophet prophesying curses on those who criticize you, I urge you today, leave your prophetic gift at the altar and go and reconcile with others. This is not a competition. We need to love God and love each other. To every businessman or businesswoman who cheats, lies, and steals, leave your seed offering behind and go and make it right with your employees. To every woman who is neglecting your family, stop attending midnight prayer online and go and pay attention to your husband and your children. 
For Jesus said in Luke 6, I'm telling you, love even your enemies and do good to them. Lend to people without expecting to get anything back. If you do this, you will have a great reward. God will bless you for loving other people. You will be children of the Most High God. You can pray from now till next year. If you don't love people, you won't be blessed. Because God is good even to the people who are full of sin and not thankful. Give love and mercy the same as your Father gives love and mercy. So here's your first action point today. Stop. Ask yourself, are relationships a priority in my life? Am I devoted to loving others? Turn your notes over to page two. And that brings us to our second step today. Go. Everybody shout go. First, Jesus tells us to stop acting religious and start prioritizing relationships. And then he says this in verse 24, go and be reconciled to that person. In other words, when you make loving God and loving others a priority, you will do whatever you can to live at peace with other people. That's why the Bible says in Hebrews 12, make every effort. Somebody say make every effort. Make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. And to make every effort means you will stop at nothing. You will go to any distance. You will write any letter, make any phone call, travel any distance. No matter the time that is passed, no matter the hurt or offense, you will do whatever it takes to live at peace with everyone. And notice that the scripture in Hebrews Hebrews continues and said, we must guard against bitterness, not just in our own hearts, but guard against bitterness coming up in other people's hearts. In other words, it's our duty as Christians to stand against bitterness in us and in others. And that means we must guard against giving offense. We must guard against causing other people to be bitter at us because of the way we behaved. So ask yourself today, have I done anything that is making someone else bitter? Is there anything I've done to hurt that I've not healed? See, before you try fixing a relationship, you've got to examine yourself. What part did I play in this broken relationship? Does anyone have a cause or reason to be angry with me? That's what Jesus teaches in Luke 6. And why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? How can you think of saying, friend, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye? Hypocrite. First, get rid of the log in your own eye. Then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. Examine yourself. Deal with your sin. Get of your wrong, rid of your wrong, for there's no substitute for repentance. Your dad may have wronged you, but first ask yourself, did I also commit wrong? Did I disrespect him? Did I disobey him? Did I dishonor him? Your husband may have insulted you, but ask yourself, have I also insulted him, dishonored him? Deal with your sin, take out the log. Your best friend may have turned her back on you, but ask yourself, did I do something? Did I gossip? Did I slander? Take the log out of your own eye. Because before you can fix the relationship, you have to fix yourself. You've got to accept your responsibility and the role you played. 
And there is no substitute for going to the offended party and apologizing openly. There's no substitute for open confession. See, oftentimes when we know that we were partly wrong, we couch it in terms, say, I was joking. No, you weren't. I didn't mean, yes, you did. And we try to defend ourselves and make excuses, but what we need to do is go and look the person in the eye and say, I was wrong. For Proverbs 28, 13 says, people who conceal their sins will not prosper, but if they confess and turn from them, they will receive mercy. So here's the truth you need to pack up and take home with you. The cost of concealment is always greater than the cost of confession. If you will confess your sin, confess your wrongdoing, confess the part you played in the broken relationship, you will bring God's blessing. But when you refuse to confess, you give the devil a foothold. And when you do that, here's the danger. It begins to build in your life. A little wound, a little bitterness, a little anger, a little guilt add up. And before you know it, they've taken over your life and consumed you. That's the lesson we can learn from the true story of a man from the U.S. named Charles Roberts. On October 2nd, 2006, Charles Roberts walked into an Amish schoolhouse in Pennsylvania, USA. He was armed with three guns and a heart full of bitterness. After releasing the teachers and most of the students, he held 15 young girls captive. He tied their legs with ropes and threatened to shoot them. And when the police came, he shot some of the girls and killed three of them before he shot and killed himself. What could have led Charles Roberts to such a horrible act? Outwardly, he appeared normal in the community. He had a wife, he had a job, he seemed normal, but there was something lurking inside. For you see, Charles had a secret hatred for something that happened to him long ago. And before he died, he wrote a letter to his wife and said, I am seeking revenge for something that happened to me 20 years ago. When I was a child, when I was hurt, I've never gotten over it and I've come to get revenge. I I hate God, I hate people, I hate myself, and he took the lives of three innocent schoolgirls. And the tragedy of the Amish schoolhouse shooting is a vivid true life example of what happens when we don't deal with how we feel, when we don't get rid of the bitterness, because bitterness and hurt and guilt and wrongdoing in your heart will take over and destroy you. Yet surprisingly, this story is also an illustration to all of us of the power of God's love because when the families of the three murdered girls faced this horrible confrontation, they took a different path. They did not get bitter, they got better. They chose to react differently than Charles Roberts. They forgave him and blessed him and released him. The families of the girls he murdered attended his funeral and made a financial offering to his widow. They overcame evil with good and responded with love. And there's a lesson for all of us in this tragic but true story. When you're faced with offense, you've got a choice. You can get bitter or you can get better. You can allow the hate to stew in your heart or you can allow love to take control. You can choose to overcome evil with good. You can choose to let love prevail. You can choose to get back 
on track and reconcile. So don't let irritation build. Don't let anger build. Don't let the offense you committed remain in silence. For Ephesians 4 says, do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. For anger gives a foothold to the devil. And here's what we need to remember. Confession is the ceiling on your healing. The more completely you confess, the more completely you heal. So don't hold back. There are some of us today, you need to write an email. You need to make a phone call. You need to go to someone today. Maybe it's the person next to you. You need to say, I did wrong. I'm sorry for losing my temper. I'm sorry for being impatient. God forgive me. And I guarantee you will walk free. You will be delivered and you will see your relationship back on track. Somebody say back on track. For you see, Romans 8.1 says, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. When you confess fully and turn from your sin, there's no condemnation. You can stand boldly and confidently in front of everyone. Consider for a moment that it was the Apostle Paul who wrote those words. There's no condemnation when you're in Christ. This is the Paul who killed Christians. This is the Paul who persecuted the church. Don't you know that some of the people Paul was preaching to are family members of the people he murdered. But he'd confessed. He'd repented. The blood of Jesus forgave him. And the people in the church forgave him because he willingly turned and confessed. And he stood uncondemned. So here's your second action point. Go and make peace with others. When you come to understanding your own fault, it helps you to release others from their fault. When you come to Christ and receive forgiveness, it helps you to give forgiveness. When you stand uncondemned, it helps you to let go and fail to condemn others. And that brings us to our third step today, let go. Everybody say let go. First stop, give God what he wants, prioritize relationships. Second, go and do whatever it takes to reconcile. And third, let go. For he says in verse 25, settle your differences quickly. But the fact is there is no substitute for reconciliation. See, when you seek revenge, when you're out for vengeance, you become just as guilty and sinful as the person who hurt you. Revenge-seeking, vengeance is idolatry. It's trying to take the place of God. For Romans 12, 19 says, Dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scriptures say, I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. So leave it to God. It's not your job, job to get revenge. Don't take God's place. Instead, forgive. For Jesus taught us to pray, forgive us our sins as we've forgiven those who sin against us. For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. In other words, the only way to be free is to free. The only way to be released is to release. The only way to avoid judgment is to Avoid judgment. For the Bible says in Luke 6, 37, do not judge others and you will not be judged. Do not condemn others or it will all come back against you. Forgive others and you will be forgiven. So here's your final action point today. Let go. Let go of hurt and bitterness. 
Let go of anger and irritation. Let go, forgive, and be free. Many years ago, in a village in southern Africa, there lived a young couple, a man and woman. They'd known each other for a long time. They fell in love and eventually got married. Now, the custom in that region was when a couple got married, the whole village would come together to build them a house, and they would finish the house by putting bright green leaves all across the top to make the roof. So when this young man and woman got married, the village came and built the house and made the roof out of bright green leaves. The couple was happy. They loved one another. But then one morning, they woke up in a bad mood. Suddenly, they had a small disagreement. The disagreement led to an argument. The argument led to fighting. The fighting led to yelling. And before they knew it, they were shouting at one another. The man got so angry, he went outside of the house in rage. He wanted to take something and tear it. So he found the closest thing there was, the bright green leaves on his roof, and he began to pull them down and tear them. Now, in that village, tearing down the leaves from your roof meant you wanted a divorce. If a husband pulled all the leaves from his roof, it meant the marriage was over. The man wasn't thinking of that. He didn't remember the argument. He didn't remember the, the custom of the people. He just remembered his anger. So he was pulling the leaves and tearing them with fury. The wife came out from the house and saw what he was doing. And suddenly, she didn't want a divorce. She didn't want to be angry with her husband. She didn't want to quarrel. She wanted to say something to stop him, but then she noticed that people from the village had come out and were standing and watching. And she said to herself, if I tell him to stop, the people in the town will blame me and say the argument is my fault. So she kept quiet. The husband, as the anger went down, began to realize what he was doing. He didn't want a divorce. He didn't want to tear the leaves off the roof. He was about to stop, but then he saw the people in the village standing and watching, and he said to himself, if I stop now, they'll blame me and say it's my fault. So he kept pulling the leaves. The people in the village stood around, and they were sad. They knew the couple loved each other. They knew they didn't want a divorce, but they knew you could not get involved between a husband and wife, so they all stood silent. So the wife stood and watched. The husband pulled the leaves, and the villagers kept quiet. It seemed hopeless. Soon the last leaf would come down and the marriage would be over. But then the wife spoke up. That's enough, dear, she said. You've got all the leaves that need to be washed. You can leave the rest up there. Let's gather these and take them to the river. The husband looked surprised. He didn't understand. And as we all know, you have to tell a man something twice. So she said it again. I said, dear, that's enough. Those are the only leaves that are dirty. Let's gather them in a basket and take them to the river and wash them and leave the rest. And without waiting to see what her husband did, she began to put the leaves in a basket. And then all of a sudden, he got it. He smiled and he joined her in gathering the leaves. And then they carried the basket and they held hands and took the leaves to the river. They washed them and laid them out on the shore to dry. Then they went for a swim. And when the leaves were dry, they carried them back to the house and put them back on the roof. Such a thing had never happened in that village before. As far as I know, it's never happened since. But in their story, we can learn a lesson today for every one of us. No matter what's happened, you can always 
wash the leaves and get back on track. No matter how great the hurt, no matter how angry the words, no matter how wide the rift, you can always wash the leaves and get back on track. Even if you've pulled things down, even if you've torn things apart, wash the leaves. For no matter what relationship needs to be rescued, with God's help and God's love, you can get back on track. So what do you need to do today to mend a broken relationship? What do you need to do to get back on track? It begins when you stop. Prioritize relationships, even over religious acts. Start giving God what he wants you to love other people, not what he doesn't want. And then go. Go and confess, I did wrong. Go and confess, I'm sorry. Go and confess. Go and make restitution. Go and apologize. Go and reconcile. If you're offended or they're offended, go. If you're quarreling, go. For Jesus left heaven to come all the way to earth to reconcile us with God. He left all the way from heaven and came to earth to bring us back to God. And if he's forgiven our sins, you can forgive anyone. If he sacrificed his life for you to be washed and made whole, you can do whatever it takes to get back on track. Let go. Let go of the offense. Let go of the hurt. Let go of the anger. Let go of the bitterness. For Jesus came to reconcile us to God and to one another and to get every relationship back on track. Stop. Go, let go. Pray with me. Father, in the name of Jesus, we confess today, Lord, we are broken people. Every one of us, Lord, our hearts have been wicked. We've turned to our own way, but you've come to forgive us. You've come to reconcile us and bring us back to the Father. Your blood was shed that we might have a new start and get back on track with you. And not only with you, but with each other. So we pray today you'll come into our hearts with your love, your grace, and your forgiveness. Come into our hearts with your mercy today. Come into our hearts and change us. Wash away the guilt, the shame, the pain. Wash away the hurt. Bring forgiveness. Give us the courage to stop whatever we're doing and prioritize love. Give us the grace to go, reconcile, meet, talk, confess, forgive. Give us the grace to let go of every hurt, every offense. Rescue our relationships and get us back on track. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you for listening to this message. Reverend Richard C. Whitcomb is the senior pastor of Agape House New Testament Church in East Legon. If you are ever in Accra, we will like you to worship with us on Saturday night at 6 p.m. or on Sunday at 7.30 a.m., 9.30 a.m., and 11.30 a.m. You will have an awesome experience.